The Lord God in the 19th chapter has come down, as it were, to investigate the outcry that had come up to him to the throne of heaven. The outcry against all ungodliness and wickedness found in Sodom and Gomorrah. Upon investigation, the Lord God has judged the cities of the valley of the Jordan to be just as vile as the outcry that has suggested or the outcry that has come up to him has suggested. We asked last week, what criteria has the Lord God used to execute his judgment upon these wicked cities, the cities of the valley of the Jordan? We learned that the Lord God has used his righteous law as the criteria by which he will judge not just the cities of the valley of the Jordan, but his law will be the criteria by which he will judge all men on that final day. God, we learned, is holy. God is just. Therefore, God must punish sin. God will not. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And all men will either be declared guilty on the day of judgment or all men or those all men will be declared guilty or men will be declared innocent on the day of judgment. And the question is simply this. How will you fare on the day of judgment? What will be God's verdict upon your life on the day of judgment? We learn that our only hope for escaping the just punishment of God upon sin is found in the one, the only one, who perfectly obeyed the law of God. The only one who lived the righteous for the unrighteous. The only one who took the punishment of God upon sin. The only one who rose from the dead, defeating death and the grave. And this one is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord God executed righteous judgment upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the midst of his righteous judgment, he rescued one. And rescued that one because that one had been the recipient of an everlasting love that God had poured upon him. That one is Lot. Lot was a believer. Lot was, I say, rescued one. Why one? Because it seems that more have escaped. Because one, even among those who have escaped, there is only one still that is righteous. Which means there is only one that will ultimately and finally escape judgment, while the others who have escaped with him will not. We will talk about that more in, in a moment. Lot trusted in Christ. So then what was this righteous man? This one who trusted in Christ. What was this man doing among those whom God would rain down fire and brimstone? What was he doing there? How has Lot drifted so far away? This morning, with God's help, I would like to consider with you four points concerning, and here is the title, the pilgrim's lack of progress. The pilgrim's lack of progress. Number one, the pilgrim's slow drift into sin. 
the pilgrim's slow drift into sin. We were first introduced to Lot in the 11th chapter. You may want to maybe go back a little bit to follow along. We met Lot at the same time that we met Abraham. Lot was the son of Abraham's brother Haran. At some point, Lot's father Haran dies. And it would appear that Abraham became a type of surrogate father to his nephew. Lot caring for him as if he was his very own son, although Abraham had no children. In chapter 12, the Lord God called Abraham to leave country, to leave kindred, and to go to a land that, that God would show him, a promised land. In faith, Abraham obeyed the Lord God and began his journey out of the pagan land of Ur of the Chaldeans unto a blessed promised land that God would show him. And Lot was there. Lot heard the same call that was given to Abraham. Abraham announced, we must leave. The Lord is calling me out of this land to a promised land. And, and God has promised that he would give to me a seed. And Lot believed. Lot was not just going to go. Lot believed. Lot was there. In chapter 14, Abraham becomes known as a Hebrew. Chapter 14, verse 13. This is when they were first called Hebrews. Hebrew meaning sojourner, traveler, pilgrim. And Lot is with him. Lot too is a sojourner. Lot is a Hebrew. He is a pilgrim. By grace, he has come to believe in the same God that called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. By grace, he has come to believe in the seed that would come from Abraham's line that would bless the nations. And by grace, Lot believed that there was, there is a land that the Lord God will give to Abraham. Lot was, let us make this fact painstakingly clear, Lot was truly converted. He was a real child of God, a justified soul, a righteous man. Who here has received saving grace from God? Lot received the same. Who here has uh, believed, trusted in the hope of salvation in Christ Jesus? Lot had the same hope. This is important for our sakes to know. And it's not just my opinion. It is God's final verdict on Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. Lot the righteous man. God says, Peter says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore God is declaring Lot was righteous. It is so important for us to get this because the title of our sermon is The Pilgrim's Lack of Progress. Yet he was still a pilgrim. Lot was present during many of the pivotal moments in the early stages of Abraham's pilgrimage. He was present when Abraham set up his tent between Bethel and Ai. Lot was present when Abraham built the altar and called upon the name of the Lord. Lot was there. Lot was present during the famine. Lot traveled down, down, down to Egypt. 
and saw the, the miraculous rescue of God and then traveled back up, up, up to Bethel, the place where Abraham first called upon the Lord. Lot was there. And then the Lord began to bless Abraham greatly with great wealth, with great cattle, with servants and, and more, with influence. And at the same time that the Lord God was blessing Lot or blessing Abraham, the Lord was also blessing Lot. Lot was acquiring his own capital. Lot was acquiring his own wealth. And as this, this wealth began to accumulate for Lot, something began to develop within him. Lot, Lot's eye became green with ambition. Deep within him developed a, an ambition to accumulate as much as he could. No matter the compromise and no matter the cost. Over time, a dispute arose between the servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot. Which ultimately caused Lot to request, uh, or Abraham to request for Lot, separate from me. All the land is before us. Choose any portion of land you would like to go to, and it shall be yours. And, and what does Lot do when his uncle, the greater, defers to his nephew, the, the lesser, and says, pick, choose, it's yours? The Bible says that Lot looked upon or lifted up his eyes. Looked upon the land, rather than deferring to his uncle, the one who's been a father to him, uh, the one who is the reason for his great wealth. Lot lifted up his eyes and seized, reached out for the opportunity to increase his wealth. Brothers and sisters, Lot could have rejected his uncle's request. He could have chosen to stay with his uncle Work out their differences and remain among the people of God. That was not the case. Genesis 13, 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered. This was before. Listen to what the Bible says. This was before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Meaning, he is looking to an area that will eventually become destroyed. But before it was destroyed, it was well watered. It was beautiful. Scripture goes to the extent of saying this area was like the garden of the Lord. It was similar to Eden. Like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all of the valley of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward. Lot lifted up his eyes. Listen. And lusted with selfish ambition. Over the valley of the Jordan. Have we heard that phrase before? We heard the phrase Lot or lifted up your eyes when we saw read of Eve. Who when she laid eyes on the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, good and evil, lifted up her eyes and lusted 
after that which was forbidden. Scripture is using this language intentional. And Lot's decision to go to the Jordan Valley, to, to go to the cities of the valley, was yet another step into Lot's slow drift into sin. It is, an, it is not an altogether uh, leap into sin. It is a step by step, a small step by small step into sin. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as or near Sodom. As far as or near, your Bible may say, Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Lot is a Hebrew. Lot is a pilgrim. And this pilgrim has chosen to set up his tent near a land that has been described as exceedingly wicked and sinners against the Lord. Lot, do you not know? Did Lot not know the wickedness of the cities that he was moving towards? Was Lot unaware of the exceeding sinners that these men were? Did he not know where he was going? Did he only see the valley without realizing that in that valley also dwelled wicked sinners against the Lord? Was he unaware? Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that both Abraham and Lot were very much aware. That they were very much aware of what wickedness, what vileness dwelled within the gates of the cities of the valley, especially within Sodom. How could they know? How could they know? Because they are sojourners. They're pilgrims. They have traveled as far up to Canaan and as far down to Egypt. And they have traveled through these cities, through the cities of the Valley of the Jordan. And they have chosen for a specific reason not to set up their tents near, anywhere near those cities Because of their wickedness, they are very much aware. Though the foundations of these cities were well established, though their borders were secured by gates, Abraham was not looking for a city established by men, but he was looking for a city established by God. Lot, on the other hand, Lot did not care. Lot did not care enough to stay away. Lot was willing to compromise his faith, the strength of his faith, for his own ambition. Lot knew the evil that dwelled there in the cities of the valley, but Lot thought too much of himself, believing that those cities would have no effect on him or his family. Did you hear that? He overestimated his own strength. And what a grave mistake it is to overestimate your own strength. Uh, To believe that you could dance near fire and walk away without smelling like smoke. And this was yet again 
another step in Lot's downward spiral into sin. Let us beware of that decision. Not much time passes before we hear Lot again. We hear of Lot again. And and what has happened? Lot's been taken as a prisoner of war by powerful nations that are sweeping through cities, conquering them one by one. And what city was he in when he was taken as a prisoner of war? Chapter 14, verse 12 tells us that Lot was no longer living near Sodom, but Lot was now living in Sodom. Abraham learns that his nephew has been taken and prepares an army to go and rescue Lot from these powerful nations. And and imagine the look on Lot's face if you can. If you can imagine it in your mind's eye. That there is a cavalry coming. There is an army coming. They are coming to rescue all the prisoners of war. And leading the charge is Uncle Abraham. Who is coming, Lot? Who is coming to rescue us? It's my uncle. Abraham. And the Lord gives Abraham of this victory. Lot was saved. Now you might think, I might think, that after such a miraculous victory, Lot would return home to the house of Abraham. Especially after Abraham rejects the gifts from the king of Sodom. I will take nothing from you. But that's not what Lot does. After being rescued by his uncle Abraham, Lot returns to Sodom. He does not take the capture of Sodom as his cue to leave Sodom. To run from Sodom, he runs back to Sodom. Why? Because that's what we do when the worst possible result doesn't happen. We go back to it. When the worst possible occurrence of sin doesn't happen, we go back to our sin. When we don't experience the worst possible result, we keep sinning. Because sin is not satisfied until it finally produces death. It is not until the wages of sin are fully paid that we realize just how much we've spent And how deadly our pursuit of sin truly is. Keep playing with fire. I'm speaking to pilgrims today. Not to those who who live in Sodom. We dealt with them last week. They will be judged. We are speaking to pilgrims today. Keep dancing around the fire. Lot did not experience the worst possible outcome from his capture. What would have been the worst possible outcome? Well, I didn't die. I'm still here. So let's keep going. Let's see how far we can push death. How many times we can cheat it. He was rescued. He may have reasoned that living in Sodom was perfectly acceptable, Because after all, I didn't die. So he remains there for 20 more years. Though he was righteous, he remained in Sodom until one day two angels appear and tell him, this place will be destroyed today because of its wickedness. Brothers and sisters, this was not where Lot began 
20 years later, two angels coming to him and saying, get out, you must leave. Today is the day where this place will be destroyed. If you could have asked Lot 20 years earlier, Would you have foresaw this? He would have said, absolutely not. If you could have asked Lot 20 years earlier, is this what you want? He would have said, no, of course not. This would not have been the end that he had chosen for himself or the end that he was seeking to achieve. So how did he get here? It was the pilgrim's slow drift into sin. It was not as though Lot began with Abraham and then overnight said, I'm moving into Sodom. As J.C. Ryle puts it in his book here, they were small steps and little symptoms of sin. Small steps and just little symptoms of sin. Lot acquired wealth, moved from his uncle, set up his tent near Sodom, then began to live in Sodom, experienced trouble in Sodom, but was saved, returned to Sodom, and remained there. All of these were symptoms of sin that went unchecked. Do you allow people to check you when you need to be checked? Do you allow people to correct you When you need to be corrected. Or are your only friends. Those who applaud everything you do. Sinful or righteous. Those are no friends. And maybe that is why he needed to remove himself from Abraham. They were little downward compromises. They were little steps of sin. Listen, and if you take enough little steps, when those steps are fully and finally measured, Lot finds that he is a long way away from godly living. Small steps, little steps here and there. Enough of those little steps, you will find yourself way uh, further away from where you thought and know you should be. It may have appeared. To be an all of a sudden fall. It may appear even in our own lives to be an all of a sudden fall into sin. But brothers and sisters. Great falls that we see usually happen small steps at a time. Even small steps lead to great falls. The Bible says in Proverbs 610 a little sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon you like a thief. It is a little leisure. It's just my little hobby. It's just a little activity that we're going to do. It's just a little of my own pleasure. Don't I deserve that? And let's do all these little things on the Lord's day. Just this time. Meet with the saints. I'll just do this little. You fill in the blank. Until eventually the entire day is neglected and forsaken. It's just a little neglecting of family worship. Until it is altogether lost. 
It's just a little giving, uh, not giving of your tithe and of your offering until you no longer even consider giving the first fruits. It's just a little rumor until we are finally fully engulfed in gossip. And the list goes on and on and on. Falling into sin rarely happens all at once and all of a sudden. Before we move forward, though, we must make this clear. He is a true believer. And it is possible for true believers to have many, many blemishes. It is possible for a true believer to have many, many defects and yet still be a Christian. But the the question is this. Is that what we want to aspire to? Do we want to say, well, Lot was okay and so will I be? We'll consider that more in just a moment. Number two, the pilgrim becomes the settler. The pilgrim becomes the settler. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. As Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom, when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed with his face to the ground. And he said, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. The 18th and 19th chapters are positioned next to one another for many reasons. One of those reasons is so that we might notice, listen to this, the contrast, compare and contrast Two pilgrims. Who are these two pilgrims? Abraham in chapter 18 and Lot in chapter 19. God has come to judge both. Both pilgrims are visitors in their place where they are. And both pilgrims are visited by angelic beings. Both invite them to stay. Both prepare a meal. Both intercede in some kind of way. And there are plenty more uh, other parallels that we could discuss. But one thing that is meant for us to notice is the language used to describe their dwelling place. Over and over again in the 18th chapter, we find that Abraham is living where? Where is he living? What kind of dwelling place is Abraham dwelling in? A tent. What are tents for? Who are tents for? Tents are for those who don't plan on staying long. They are temporary. They are meant, they are not meant to be long, right? Abraham is still a pilgrim. Abraham is still a Hebrew. Abraham is still looking forward to the land that the Lord God had promised him. And Abraham will not settle, would not settle until he had arrived into that promised land. Lot, on the other hand, what kind of dwelling place is Lot living in? Have you seen it? In chapter 19, what what kind of place is he living in? He said, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servants. What? Verse one house. The language is used intentionally to describe the fact that Lot was no longer sojourning. He was home. 
He was no longer a pilgrim. He was a settler. Lot found his home. Lot made his home in Sodom among the wicked. He has forgotten that he is a pilgrim. He's no longer looking forward to the promised land. He's found his land. Sodom is his place of of promise. The point becomes apparent as we read through the 19th chapter. Lot offers the angels, come stay with me at my house. They refuse. They'll stay at the Times Square or at the town square. He knows the evil that dwells in every corner of that city. How does he know the evil that dwells there? The same way that you and I know the evil that dwells in certain parts of this city. Because it's our home. We live here. The angels accept Lot's request. And it's not long before the the men of the city, young and old, surround Lot's house and demand the angelic visitors be brought out so that they might be violated by the men of that city. And how does Lot attempt to reason with these men and their wicked desires? How does he attempt to to uh, to dissuade their request? Chapter 19, verse 7. Please, my brothers. My brothers. Though they are distant relatives, Lot appeals to them. As if he is one of them. We are brothers. I am one of you. Do not do this. He's no longer a pilgrim. This is his home. And in Lot's eyes, they are his kin. They are his people. So he thinks. He attempts to bargain. With the men of Sodom. And here is how the men of Sodom. Or here is how he he, uh, tries to bargain with them. I have two daughters. And they have never been with a man. They've had no relation with a man. Please let me bring them out to you. And you do to them whatever you like. Imagine the thought. For those of you who have any children. uh, Son or daughter. Imagine the thought. Lot goes from acting Uh, righteously rebuking the men of the city, his brothers, for their wicked pursuits, to suggesting then something just as wicked. Take my daughters. He has lost all sense of reason. And he soon learns from the men of the city that he is not their brother. Why? Because they reject his compliment. It's a compliment. You're my brother. I, 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 I was going to say something that doesn't matter. Uh, they say in verse 9, stand aside. And, and here's how they say, this one came in as an alien, a pilgrim or, or sojourner. And already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. The men of Sodom reject Lot's compliment, and and they look around at the band of sinners that are surrounding them saying, this guy, this one, this man, they do not respond with our brother. They say, this guy, this man, he's coming to the city as a pilgrim, and now he thinks he's our brother, this guy. 
It's a derogatory term, even used today when someone makes an outlandish claim. I can run faster than you, this guy. Right? This guy, who does he think he is? And, and do you notice what the wicked do for Lot? They remind him of who he's supposed to be. And who he was not being. Out of the mouth of the wicked. Just like the king of Egypt. Who rebukes Abraham for lying. Why are you lying? It is a sad day when the wicked rebuke the righteous. When the wicked remind the righteous of who they are supposed to be. Lot, you are no brother of ours. They recognize they are the wicked. Or at least they are not on the same team. (laughs) The Lord uses the mouths of the wicked to remind Lot, you are not being who you're supposed to be. You're a pilgrim and you've made your home among the wicked. You even as go as far as to say we are family. They reject Lot's offer and they will not bargain with him. You see that? They're, they're not going to make an alliance with Lot. They won't accept his suggestion. They reject his judgment. Who do you think you are? You are no judge. And if you don't stand aside, we'll treat you worse than the men inside. My dear brothers and sisters, you who have confessed Christ alone, you are no kin to the world. They are not your brothers. As much as we desire to be accepted by the world, there is no relation. Lot, for Lot, he looked upon those who did not share his faith as his brothers and chose to live among them as his own. Listen, while choosing to isolate himself from those who did share his faith. Do you hear that? He will mingle among the wicked, though he was righteous, and forsake the fellowship of the righteous. What a dangerous, foolish thing it is to look to those who reject Christ as your closest friends, as even your family. This does not mean that you cannot have unsaved friends or unsaved associates. But this does mean that you must not make alliances with them. We must not assume that they are our brothers. Because they will one day, if you are truly saved, remind you, you don't belong here. I can remember being a a young man in high school. Wrestling with my faith. Being among the wicked until one day, one of the wicked said to me, why do you even hang out with us? You don't drink. You don't smoke. So on and so forth. And I was reminded, you're right. What am I doing here? Even they recognize you are not one of them. And this fact was something that Lot had a hard time accepting. Why? Because this is his home. I am not your brother. I've been here for 20 years. This is where he has chosen to settle. 
And finally, he is understanding this is not though where you belong. He sacrificed much to be here. He's compromised much to be here. He's chosen to settle here. And now he is realizing this is not where you belong. After much sacrifice, after much compromise, after years, only to realize, what am I doing here? Think of the choices that you are presented with in your life. And when you think of those choices, think of your soul. Will your soul be helped upward or dragged downward? Will the decisions you make make you more heavenly or make you more earthly? Will you be drawn closer to Christ or closer to the world? Will your religion become more vigorous or will it decay? Beware of Lot's choice. Let it be an example to you. And we are speaking to pilgrims. But I'm still a believer, right? Regardless of the decision that I make, I, I still will go to heaven. I hate when we reason that way. Yes, you will still go to heaven. But will your soul prosper on the way there? Will you grow in grace before you get there? Or will you be in the dummy class in heaven? The catch-up class. I don't know if there's one. I'm just making that up. I ain't going to be in that class. Let me encourage you, dear one. Don't overestimate your own strength. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, or you will soon be humbled. The angels urge Lot, move. You got to get out of the city. Judgment is coming. What is Lot's response? Number three, the pilgrim who lingered. Our Bibles are going to say hesitated. The pilgrim who lingered. I'm going to use lingered instead of hesitated. Same word. Verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever else you have in this city. Bring them out of this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The angels have seen enough. The cities will surely be destroyed. Lot is urged, warn everyone who is in your family. And the two people that Lot immediately thinks of are those men, young men, who are engaged to marry his daughters. They are not yet his sons-in-law, but they are promised to be his sons-in-law. And so he runs to them to warn them of the impending judgment of God. Lot believes this is going to happen. That's important. The angels say, it's going, the city's going to be destroyed. Lot doesn't say, no, I don't believe you. Lot runs in haste to those whom are his family. Because Lot knows the wickedness and the abominations of the city of Sodom, he knows the city is deserving of judgment. Lot knows the power of God as well. He has stood in the presence of angels. So there is no doubt 
in Lot's mind that what they have said is going to happen quickly. Warn those who are in your house. And if you can imagine in your mind's eye, Lot running through this city, uh, the city that is completely unaware, completely unaware that in moments, fire and brimstone will fall upon their head. He's running through streets. Uh, People are eating. He's running through streets. People are drinking. They are buying, selling, sleeping, laughing. And Lot is running through the city. He finds his sons-in-law to be and says, out, get up out of this place. The Lord will destroy the city. Now, I've given you a particular tone. We don't know the tone with which Lot spoke to this to these men. I've given you a particular facial expression. You believe me. But when Lot spoke to these men, they did not believe him. Not only that. But they took his words as nothing more than silly words from a crazy man. The Bible says they seemed, they believed that he was joking. Why didn't they believe him? It sounds like a very... Drastic thing to say, does it not? God is going to destroy this city. Imagine someone coming to your house. God is going to destroy this city. What would you say? You might say it depends on who's telling me. You might say it depends on who the message is coming from. (laughs) Could it be? That everything in the life of a lot leading up to that dramatic moment caused these men to not take his warning seriously. Meaning this, everything that they saw in Lot, everything that they heard in Lot, everything that Lot displayed before his family, his wife, his children, there was nothing that they saw in Lot that would cause them to believe anything he said. Listen, Especially something as dramatic and drastic as God is going to destroy the city. They laugh in his face. There was no moral capital for Lot to spend on his would-be sons-in-law. He had invested nothing spiritual in them. Therefore, when it was time to pull something out, there was nothing but bankruptcy. There was nothing in the moral character of Lot's life that caused him to take heed to this man's warning to escape judgment. They laughed in his face. And listen, their laughter is the end of their story. And that's the end. Uh, Son, daughter, I'd like to tell you a bedtime story. Judgment was coming. Men laughed and they died. The end. That's their story. That's the last of we hear. Brothers and sisters, pilgrims should be serious. Not stoic. Not those with stiff upper lips. Not those with uh, no sense of humor. But there should at least be a sense about us that is serious. 
so that when it comes to speaking of heavenly things, those who are around us have seen enough seriousness in our life that we take this serious. That when you speak, they have seen enough of this in your life to take you seriously. How many serious conversations have you had with your family or loved ones or do you avoid them? Do you know Christians, so-called, who never take anything serious? Who rarely have any serious conversations? And when I say serious, I mean spiritually serious. They may be likable. They may be personable. Easy to be around. And that is because they don't challenge you to take anything serious. And what's the result? You don't take anything serious, especially not them. You know those in your life, those who you will confide in and those who you will not. Because you don't take their counsel serious. Because they haven't shown you anything up to this moment of why you should take their counsel serious. These men have failed to believe and they would be destroyed in the judgment of God because of their lack of faith. When morning came, the angels urged Lot up, take your wife, your two daughters out of here or you'll be swept away with the cities. It was Lot who first urged the men to hurry, leave Sodom, uh, come to bed and wake up early and get out. And now it is the angels who are hurrying Lot, get up out of the city and the scriptures they, they, they do something very intentional here. There is a warning. A warning for Lot. Warn your family. Go. So Lot hurries. Get your family now. And, and you, hurry. Get your wife, your children. Get up. Let's go. And then all of a sudden, there's a, a, a like a slamming on the brakes. Verse 16. But he hesitated. There's there's a, a run here, run there, run here, run there. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Pause. Lot lingers. In the original Hebrew, there's an actual symbol for pause after this sentence, which means the Lord uh, intended for his people who are reading this to stop and consider the weight of this point, the weight of this sentence. It's like discovering in the middle of the night that your house is on fire. The house that you have built from the ground up. All of your most precious memories have taken place in that house. All of your most prized possessions are in that house. And then the smell of fire begins to fill the house. And although you know the house is on fire, although you know I should escape, although you know it's all going to come down, you stop and sit down on the bed. And you begin to look at everything in the house and say, how? Can I part from all of this? How can I leave this all behind? And as you're looking, smoke is filling the room. Parts of the house, of the roof are beginning to fall in your room. And though you know you should escape with your life, you just can't get yourself up to leave. Lot lingers, he hesitates, 
He was slow when he should have been quick. He was backward when he should have been forward. Loitering when he should have been hurrying. Lukewarm when he should have been hot. Why? Because the pilgrim was the settler. It was his home. He loved that place. And it is almost unbelievable to hear that he lingers, he hesitates. If we knew this building was on fire, we'd be stepping over children to get out. Don't lie. And yet he hesitates. J.C. Ryle speaks on this point from this book. They, he's speaking of believers, they believe in heaven and yet seem faintly to long for it. They also believe in hell and yet seem little to fear it. They love the Lord Jesus, but the work they do for him is small. They hate the devil, but they often appear to tempt him to come to them. They know time is short, but they live as if it were long. They know they have a battle to fight, yet a man might think they were at peace. They know they have to run a race, and yet they often look like people who are just sitting still. They know the judge is at the door. There is wrath to come, and yet they appear to be half asleep. They are those, he goes on to say, they confuse us. They cause us great anxiety with their foolish decisions. They, they are often placed into one, classified into one category. They are brothers and sisters of Lot who linger. These brothers and sisters of Lot, they seem to value holiness in the lives of others. But in my opinion, they're satisfied with just getting by. It's like being in school where you, man, you admire the A students in class. But as long as I get a D, I'll be, I'm, I'm fine. Or C minus, as long as I pass, I'm okay. They dread personal sacrifice and linger when it comes to taking up their own cross. They spend their lives trying to make the, the gate of Christ, the gate into Christ, broader. And, and the weight of the cross lighter. As easy as it can be just to get by. Oh, we have service Sunday and, and Eve, morning and Eve. I'll come to the morning and not the evening. Well, the evening, that's, that's, that cross is a little bit heavier than I'm willing to carry right now. Grow up. Grow up, pilgrim. We who confess Christ, you can't make it to an evening service. You choose your other hobbies, your little things, Overcoming for worship. And we teach our children that it's okay to miss church. Come in the evening. Come in the morning. As long as you get one in. Disgraceful. Is that really the kind of pilgrim you want to be? Is that really the kind of sojourner that you want to be? Or have you made this place your home? I say to you, the one who lingers, though you be saved, you will, you will fail to enjoy the salvation, the joy of your salvation. 
Because you can't live one here and one here. And, and Lot, in the midst of his hesitation, speeds up. All of a sudden, time picks up again. The angels literally pull them out of the city. Were it not for the mercy of God, he would have remained. Lot could not do for himself what the Lord was calling him to do, get out. And so the Lord does for Lot what Lot could not do for himself. Run away. Don't look back. Run to the hills and you will be saved. And what does Lot do when they say, run to the hills, you'll be saved if you go there? No, I can't go there. If I go there, I'll die. You hear the reasoning there? Lot, run to the hills. You'll be safe if you run to the hills. He's just been rescued from certain certain death. And he goes, if I go to the hills, I'll die, though. I can't go to the hills. Surely I'll die if I go to the hills. Let me go to this little city. It's a little one. Is it not a little one? So he says, what a foolish way of reasoning Lot has developed. They've saved him from certain death. And now he tries to use an excuse to stay close to the city of sin by doing this. Let me go to Zoar. It's near Sodom, but it's not as bad as Sodom. Sodom was a big city, big, big wickedness. Lot, or Zoar was a smaller city, smaller wickedness. Is it not a little city? It's just a little sin. Is it not a little sin? Don't we try to reason that way? I just, I just didn't give today. Just today. I missed the morning. It's just the morning. And we reason that way, don't we? Brothers and sisters, we are often more like Lot than we want to confess. We would like to say we're more like Abraham. But we're actually a lot more like Lot. Which is why we are so quiet this morning. Lot cannot be completely removed from sin. He can't bear it. You would think he would want to get as far away from the wicked cities and never look back. But he cannot fully remove himself from sin. He must be somewhere near it. Even though he's not completely in it, let me be somewhere at least near it. We would like to believe that we are like Abraham, but we are like Lot. We sadly make little progress in our Christian life. We are often more comfortable settlers than we are unsettled pilgrims. How often have we said to ourselves, I ought to know better. I I should be progressing more than this right now. I should be further along. Why aren't we? Because we so often linger. We must press on in the power of the Holy Spirit, believing that we are more than conquerors. We can be Christians who please our Lord. And at the same time, we are often Christians who linger and bring shame upon our Lord. Again, will I still make it to glory? Will I still make it to heaven? 
Don't miss the point. If you won't consider the harm that your lingering does to yourself, at least consider the harm that it does to others. What, I, what does that mean? Fourth and finally, the pilgrim's lack of fruit. The pilgrim's lack of fruit. I said, if you won't consider the, the harm that lingering and compromising does to you, at least consider what it might be doing to someone else. We can assume that Lot lived in the city for 20 years. And in that time, what kind of good fruit did Lot produce in the inhabitants of the city? Or to say it another way, what kind of good did he do in the city and for the inhabitants of Sodom? Can you imagine? 20 years the countless opportunities that he had to be a beacon of light in the darkness to preach the gospel of the skull-crushing seed of the woman who was to come. The the opportunities that he had in 20 years to call the men and women of Sodom to repent and trust in Christ. In 20 years, he's lived among the wicked. And what fruit does he have to show for it? Whose life has he affected by his witness? Who has escaped the judgment of God because of Lot's preaching? Listen, no one. No one. We may say, but his daughters were saved. No. His daughters escaped the physical judgment of God. But not the eternal judgment of God. Just like the son and family of Noah, Ham, who escaped, yes, the waters of judgment, but he would not escape hellfire. Lot's life had no weight of influence in the people's lives that surrounded him, that lived in his house. Not one righteous person. Save Lot. Not one could be found in Sodom. Not one of the men of, of, of the city would heed his words. His sons laughed, sons of law, laughed in his face. His daughters would devise, will devise a, a devious plan against him. His wife loved the city of men more than the city of God and even more than her husband, whom she should have followed. For he was in front of her. But she was actually married to the city. The city whom she looked back at. What kind of spiritual leader was Lot? Apparently a very poor one. A very poor one indeed. And parents, let this be a warning to you. Parents who linger. You display for your children a pattern to follow. Lest the mercy and grace of God intervene. We have examples here, maybe of parents who are not, who may have been believers. Listen to this. You may have grown up in a house of believers. And all you ever seen was believers who often lingered. 
And though you may not be a product of their lingering, you may not follow their pattern of lingering. It is not because of them that you say, I don't follow that pattern. It's because of the grace of God, not because of them. You can't look to them and say, you are such a great example to me. And parents, don't you want your children to look back to you and say, thank you for the example that you set. Thank you for showing me your passion. Thank you for for showing me your discipline. Thank you for showing me uh, your vigor. Thank you for not lingering. Do not produce lingering children who are simply following the example of lingering parents. There is very, very little fruit that Lot left behind. And we shall see the final details will be that Lot goes to Zoar, goes to that little town. Then he leaves that little town. And the very end that we know about Lot is this. He's living in a cave with his two daughters who have devised a devious plan that we'll talk about when the children are not here. We don't know how long he lived after this, where he lived, when, how he died, what he thought, if he ever saw Abraham again. I was preparing the very end of this sermon last night. I said to my wife, this is a gloomy sermon. Lot's story seems to be extinguished finally, like that faintly burning wick that finally has gone out. Will he be in heaven? Yeah. Yes, he will. If it were not in 2 Peter 2, 7, I would have said no. But thank God I am not God. Will he be in heaven? Yes. But can we learn from his life how one pilgrim should strive to live? No. We learn from his life how we should not strive to live. May I say to you that my goal is not to present a gloomy sermon to you, but one that will instruct our souls. We live in a day of lingering. We live in a day when when lingering lot-like religion fills churches all over America and this world. It's it's the, the trendy religion. It's the fashionable religion. To require little to no sacrifice. To rarely exalt Christ. And though Lot lingered. And we do not follow his example. Christ set his face like flint. And made a bold march to the cross. Though Lot The believer is not our example and we cannot learn from him what to do. We look to Christ. The one who perfectly lived in the place of Lot. And we learn from Christ how we must righteously live holy lives in this life because he's enabled us to do so. And yet in our failures and in our blemishes and in our shortcomings and sin. We thank God that we have an advocate in Christ. Who has perfectly done for us what we could never do for ourselves. I say to you in closing, walk with God. Be spiritual. Really spiritual minded. Live like pilgrims. Strangers in this world in your time. 
in your conversations, in your amusements, in your pursuits. Be faithful witnesses. Don't overestimate your own strength. Run from sin. Don't linger. Christ has given you his spirit to live in such a way. And when he returns, will you be ready? And should the Lord tarry, will you leave behind any evidences of your faithful service? What fruit will you leave behind? Were you useful in your time? Did you call your family to follow Christ? Did they listen? I say to you, if at any point in this sermon you have felt conviction in your soul, then turn to Christ for the remedy. Turn to Christ for the balm of Gilead. Turn to Christ and be healed. There is no other way to stop lingering, to have a more productive progress as a pilgrim than to walk hand in hand with Christ. Let us pray.